Let's go. Over on wisdom. Why the rich are getting richer. What is financial education really? By Robert T. Kiyosaki. I'm going to skip to the part um, I've already read pretty much through half of the book. I'm up to page 103, which is the introduction to part two. For those of you on Colin, you can see, I'll just be showing, flashing some parts of the book to you and different images uh, so you don't have to look at my pretty face all the time. <clears throat> introduction to part two, a tale of two teachers. Many people believe they are financially educated. As you read this book, I am sure you will gain a better understanding about where you fall on the financial education spectrum. You may find that you agree about where you fall on the financial education spectrum. You may find that you agree with my rich dad and decide that you have a lot to learn about money and investing. Before continuing with what financial education is, I think it makes sense to cover what financial education isn't. For, for example, most people believe their house is an asset. Yet, for example, most people believe their house is an asset. Yet, in most cases, their house is really a liability. Labeling a liability an asset is one of the main reasons there is a growing gap between the rich and everyone else. After defining what financial education is not, the next chapter goes into financial literacy and, more importantly, what will happen to people who are financially illiterate when the economy changes again. So if you're ready to find out how solid your financial education is and how financially literate you are, you're ready for part two. Chapter seven, what financial education is not? What financial education is not? Poor dad. Why do I need financial education? I have a great education. I have a great job. I have a house, money in the bank, and a government retirement. Rich dad. If you argue with an idiot, there are two idiots. There are two idiots. There is financial education for the poor and middle class, and on the other side of the coin, there is financial education for the rich. This is why Warren Buffett said, 
Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Before getting into what real financial education is, it is important to discuss the other side of the coin, what financial education is not. What, final, what financial education is not. Rich Dad, Poor Dad was published in 1997 and made the New York Times was published in 1997 and made the New York Times bestsellers bestsellers list in the year 2000. Soon after making that prestigious list, I was a guest on Oprah and interviewed by Oprah Winfrey. In one hour, I went from unknown to almost famous. The phones began ringing and I was soon a frequent guest on numerous television shows, guest on numerous television shows, radio programs, and interviewed for magazines and newspapers around the world. Most interviews were about the story of my two dads, one rich and one poor. No one asked me about financial education. Almost every person who interviewed me was educated and was certain they knew what financial education was. As Rich Dad says, if you argue with an idiot, there are two idiots. It was a test of diplomacy to explain that their idea of financial education was not the same as my rich dad's ideas on financial education. We were not on the same side of the coin, of the same coin. We were, we were not on the same side of the same coin. The following are examples of not on the same side of the same coin. The following are examples of what highly educated people believe financial education is. Economics. Many journalists thought economics was financial education. While the understanding of economics is important, Economics was not my rich dad's idea of financial education. Rich dad often said, rich dad often said, if the study of economics made you rich, why are most economists poor? Today, the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank employs more economists with PhDs than any other institution. If economists with PhDs could make us rich, why is the U.S. economy in trouble? Just look at the chart on the following page. So for those of you watching on video here on Colin, I'll just show that really quickly. Just look at the chart on the following page. There it goes. Leave it for a few seconds. You can come back and look at that later or get the book for yourself. Continuing. That was the U.S. national debt source, the national debt clock.
You do not need a PhD in economics to know that those economists are being paid too much. The national debt clock. You do not need a PhD in economics to know that those economists are being paid too much. Balancing a checkbook. During an interview, a famous American TV host said, financial education is knowing how to balance a checkbook. When I disagreed with him, he cut me off and went on to another subject. Balancing a checkbook is important, but my mom balancing a checkbook is important, but my mom and dad could balance a checkbook and they were still poor. Saving money. Every interviewer believed that saving money was intelligent, the smart thing to do. Most interviewers cringed when I said, savers are losers. A real financial education must include the history of money. Most interviewers were not aware that in 1971, the year President Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard, the United States and the world began printing money. Why would an intelligent person save money when governments are printing money? Here are two charts we've looked at earlier in this book to reinforce what happens when governments print money. And I'll show this again here on Colin to y'all looking at here on video. Here's what happens when governments print money. And I'll show this again here on Colin to y'all looking at here on video. It's labeled the Fed's expansion of the monetary base. Here it goes. The Fed's expansion of the monetary base. The Fed's expansion of the monetary base. And the biggest money printing of all time. Wow. Y2K, there was a little spike. 9-11, there was a little spike. The Lehman failure, there was a little spike. Quarter one, spike. 9-11, there was a little spike. The Lehman failure, there was a little spike. Quarter one, wow, spikes all the way up to 2013. It's incredible. The second chart here is labeled purchasing power of the U.S. dollar from 1900 to 2003. And it's a very sharp decline. Wow. 1913, the Federal Reserve was created. 1933, FDR's executive order forbid holding gold, coin, bullion, or certificate. 1944, Bretton Woods establishes U.S. dollar as world reserve currency. And in 1971, Nixon takes U.S. off the gold standard. Let's show that again for those of you on Colin, watching on video. There it goes. I apologize, the lighting is not too good. All right, continuing. A financially, edu a financially educated person knows that when banks and governments are printing money, the value of money is going down and the cost of living is going. A educated person knows that when banks and governments are printing money, the value of money is going down and the cost of living is going up. As you know, it's the money, stupid. 
knowing your FICO score. A FICO score is a particular brand of credit score. A credit score is a number that is used to predict how likely is used to predict how likely you are to pay back a loan on time. Credit scores are used by companies to make decisions on credit worthiness, on whether or not to offer you a mortgage, a loan, or a credit card. Your credit score is important, but it is not financial education. Many poor and middle-class people have great credit scores. Getting out of debt. My poor dad believed debt was bad. He believed in living debt-free. Given his limited financial education, living debt-free was a good idea. Living debt-free is good advice for the poor and middle class. Rich Dad often said, debt is money. He also said, there is good debt and bad debt is money. He also said, there is good debt and bad debt. Good debt makes you rich and bad debt makes you poor. If you want to use debt to get rich, you must invest in your financial education to understand the difference between good debt and bad debt and how to use debt. Below is a picture of the banking system, of the banking system. <laughs> it's hilarious. I wish the non-video channels that are listening to this could see this. It's hilarious. It shows uh, two different people. It shows the um, a banker being handed cash by a couple and he's saying thank you to them. The They don't look very happy handing him over their cash. And on the other side, it shows the banker just dumping money into a wheelbarrow to another couple. And they're saying thank you to him simultaneously. Show that here, <clears throat> Colin, with video. There you go. It's a nice image. It's pretty funny. Continuing. True financial education must explain the big picture of the banking system. The banking system is a system of savers. The banking system is a system of savers and debtors. As the illustration on the previous page shows, without debtors, the money system of the world would collapse. This is why most bank credit cards offer free travel or cash back and other perks to encourage people to get into debt. The banks make money from debtors, not savers. Not savers. After the 2007 real estate mortgage crash, credit cards became the number one source of income for many banks. Poor dad used debt to buy his house and car. That's bad debt. Bad debt buys liabilities. 
bad debt is debt you have to pay for. Rich Dad used debt to buy investment properties and grow his business. That's good debt. And good debt makes you richer. Good debt is debt someone else pays for. Governments give tax tax breaks to people who know how to use good debt. I think I should give a, an example of this because I know people would cringe hearing that and not understanding exactly. People would cringe hearing that and not understanding exactly what that is. Why good debt? What that is? Why good debt? And it's just an example from the book. So he went to a real estate course, paid three hundred eighty-five dollars back in the day, which was a lot for him. He was in Robert Kiyosaki. So this book is um, why the rich are getting richer. What is financial education really? Um, it is a. And so, anyway, he went to a, a real estate investment seminar. Cost him three hundred eighty-five dollars. Cost him three hundred eighty-five dollars, according to the book. And. The the person who was teaching the seminar was a person who was rich and was actually actively investing in real estate. So he was a real real estate investor, not just someone who teaches it from theory and rhetoric and all that stuff. And so, he, and he told him, he says, your real education begins after this course. And then he gave them an assignment and they went out to go make a list of, I forget how many, maybe 90 properties or nine properties to look at and make a list of all of the, the, um, the pros and cons of each one. They started with a group of five people by the couple weeks later, there was only three people. And then there were two left by the time they were done with the assignment. He found a property for dollars $18, $18, and paid 10% of it. Now, this is important property for $18,000. And paid 10% of it. Now, this is the important part. Paid 10% of it, $1,800. Not with his own money, but with a credit card. This is what he's talking about, that it's other people's money. This is using debt to buy an asset. It had positive cash flow. The positive cash flow spit out to him every month wasn't a lot after the management fees and all the utilities and all the repair, all that stuff that needed to be done. It was a mere 25, all that stuff that needed to be done. It was a mere $25, but it was $25 in positive cash flow. Everything else was paid for. And it's like infinite income because he didn't pay any of his own money. The money is now being paid back by the people who are renting the property back to the credit card company that he paid for. So he financed it by paying 10% down, 1800 for 18,000, but didn't pay it with cash out of his own pocket. So he paid the 10% on a credit card. And then that money was being paid back by the renters. Yeah, I know a lot of people will cringe at this stuff. I mean, this is the guy who wrote the Capitalist Manifesto. It's getting bolder and bolder as time goes along, um, you know, in, in response to Marx's uh, communist manifesto. But I shall not digress anymore. I'll continue. By repeating, Rich Dad 
So poor dad used debt to buy his house and car. That's bad debt. I shall not digress anymore. I'll continue. By repeating, rich dad, so poor dad used debt to buy his house and car. That's bad debt. Bad debt buys liabilities. Bad debt is debt you have to pay for. Bad debt buys liabilities. Bad debt is debt you have to pay for. Tax breaks to people who know how to use good debt. The world banking system is built on the fractional reserve banking system. This means that for every dollar a saver puts in the bank, the bank can lend a multiple of that dollar to debtors. For example, if the fractional reserve is 10, that means the bank can lend $10 for every dollar a saver deposits. If inflation is too high, the central bank, such as the Federal Reserve in the United States, can use its tools to effectively lower the fraction a bank can lend to, let's say, $5, with only $5 available to the bank to lend for every $1 deposited by a saver. When a bank lowers interest rates, as they are doing today, they are saying, we do not want savers, we want debtors. Low interest rates on savings are forcing the middle class into the stock market and real estate markets, hoping for a better return on their money. Forcing the middle class into the stock market and real estate markets, hoping for a better return on their money. The middle class is chasing bubbles in financial markets. If the bubbles burst, many in the middle class may lose everything. Low interest rates mean the middle class is chasing bubbles in financial markets. If the bubbles burst, many in the middle class may lose. For the rich, low interest rates make it easier to get richer. For the poor and middle class, especially savers, low interest rates spell financial disaster. Ironically, savings are taxed and debt is tax-free money, which is another reason for the rich getting richer. This is an interesting thing right there because, um, hey, what's up, what's up, non, non-number? How you doing? Welcome to uh, the call-in room here. And while I'm taking a moment, I'll say hi to who's over here on Wisdom. Uh, probably not Melinda Nelfin at it because she always passes through to go do her own thing. Hello, executive, Cecilia Grace, uh, Cristalmia, that's a, or Cristalmia, <laughs> Cristalmia, Frankie Lachere, Michael J, Zen Master, Life Love Lessons, Michael E. Thomas Jr., oh, Doctor of Divinity, very nice, and Christopher John Nice, and Christopher John Martins. So thank you for either coming and hanging out or passing through. So this last part that I said, right? Low interest rate may, rates mean send this message. Please come and borrow money. Money is on sale for the rich low Martins. So thank you for either coming and hanging out or passing through. So this last part that I said, right? Low interest rate may, rates mean send this message. Please come and borrow money. Money is on interest rates make it easier to get richer for the poor. Debt is tax-free money, which is another reason for the rich getting richer. It might sound crazy, right? But because income is what's taxed, is a thing to understand. Income is what is taxed. 
debt is not income. So in the example earlier, when he spent and put the down payment on the real estate, the 10% of it of $1,800 on his credit card, he's not paying tax on that $1,800 because it's debt, not income. And it's a low interest rate where they're like, hey, please come and borrow money. Money is on sale with low interest rates, right? But people who put money in the bank to save it instead of investing it are getting taxed on it. So see the other thing? The debt, taking on the debt to buy that asset is tax-free. Whereas just putting money in savings and not allowing the cash to flow is taxed. Interesting. So tax lessons from Tom. Tom is a powerhouse uh, accountant and uh, that works with this guy, Robert Kiyosaki, and has made millions of dollars with him. And this is what he says. Savings and debt are opposite sides of the tax coin. Not only is interest on savings and debt taxed differently, savings is taxed and debt is not. The interest paid on good debt, debt used to buy assets, is deductible. So debt actually lowers your taxes, while savings increase your taxes. Living, once again, this is still the section on what a financial education is not. And this is the next part. Living below your means. Once upon a time, living below your means and saving money made sense. You could achieve financial security, possibly even become rich, by living frugally and saving for your future. After 1971, the year President Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard and opened the doors for the banks and government to print money, living below your means and saving money made no sense. Doors for the banks and government to print money, living below your means and saving money made no sense. There's another chart here, sourced from Alan Kruger. It's not even very clear in the book, so I'm not going to show that to you guys on the call. Continuing, the chart on the preceding page tells the story of what... There's another chart here, sourced from Alan Kruger. It's not even very clear in the book, so I'm not going to show that to you guys on the call. Continuing, the chart on the preceding page tells the story of what is happening to the middle class. What is happening to the middle class? Live financially intelligent. Today, living below your means only makes the poor and middle class poorer. Investing for the long term. Let's look again at the graph below that shows what has been happening over the last 120 years in the stock market. As you can see, investing for the long term made sense from 1895 to 2000. You can see that on Colin in the video. There you go. Don't need to keep it up too long. It's kind of... All right, continuing. Between 2000 and 2010, the world experienced three major crashes. In 2000, we witnessed 
the dot-com crash. In 2007, it was the subprime real estate crash. And in 2008, was the banking crash. As you saw in the chart of Warren Buffett's company in Chapter 1, it's proof that even the greatest investor in the world could not prevent his company, Berkshire Hathaway, from losing money after 2000. I believe bigger crashes are coming. Many people say, don't worry. Nothing will be as big as the giant crash in 1929. I'm not one of them. Here we have a chart of the, for those of you on Colin with video, you can see chart, the 19 crash of 1929. It's an arrow pointing to the same chart from earlier. So I ask you, why invest for the long term if the next crash will be thousands of times bigger than the giant crash of 1929? In 2002, the book Rich Dad's Prophecy was published. It predicted that the biggest crash of all time was likely to occur in 2016, plus or minus a few years. The, net, the next chart asks an important question. What's next? What's next? Okay. Continuing. If the markets keep going up, investing for the long term makes sense. The market does crash, the rich will get richer. On the flip side, unfortunately, millions of people will be wiped out. If you want to get richer, you may want to stop taking advice from people who ride the subway. Uh, you know, I, I hope that people understand. Well, you don't, maybe because you haven't been reading this book, but he's not meaning that to insult anyone who rides the subway or even rides a bicycle. It's just a kind of a metaphor. Like how Warren Buffett said, it's. It's interesting how people with millions of dollars um, roll, pull up to a Rolls Royce to the, to the stock exchange to take advice from people who take the subway, meaning the people who are not financially literate. And if you haven't read this book, then it's difficult to understand. Or for years, you know, when I first read Rich Dad Poor Dad, it was published in 1997. And the following year, The Cash Flow Quadrant was published. And it's taken a long time to understand those things, but it's so interesting how I very clearly understand now, especially actually after taking action, exactly what this is of you of using debt to make money, to buy an asset with a credit card that ha already has a cash flow, right? So, just imagine paying putting a down payment on a on a four unit apartment building, one unit that you're living in right? Putting the down payment of 10% on a credit card so that you're not getting taxed on that debt because that's not money that you have in savings or that you took out of the bank that you had in your savings account. And you're not getting taxed on it. You actually get tax incentives for doing that. As this is an oversimplified investment, right? And it has a positive cash flow already because there are tenants in it. And instead you get incentivized, you get tax breaks because that income is flowing to pay off that credit card debt that you incurred to pay for the asset. Remember, an asset puts money in your bank account while a liability takes money out of it. Continuing 
How bad can it get? Well, question. Is it possible someone will stop the insanity and save the world economy? Answer. Anything is possible. The problem is the world economy is a house of cards. Question. How fast could the economy come down? Answer. If it does collapse, the economy will probably come down in stages, which means you will have time to change with the changes, if you are prepared. One alternative way, and this is not something available for a lot of people, um, it's a it's a hybrid of an investment. Uh, you know what? I won't get into that. I'm going to continue reading the book because I, I can't reveal too much of my the stuff that I'm doing. Okay. It's better just to read the book and, and have people make up their own mind about what they're they're doing. Or at least hear it. Because it's, um, I mean, this book is ridiculous. The Why the Rich Are Getting Richer. I also just got the Capitalist Manifesto and Fake, all by Robert Kiyosaki. The guy's getting more bold since Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um... And it's pretty incredible. Fake. All right. Continuing here. A book I recommend to everyone who is interested in the future of the global economy is When Money Destroys Nations by Philip Haslam. It is a great financially accurate book and easy to read and understand. Philip Haslam is a very bright young man, a qualified chartered accountant, economic advisor, author, and speaker. He lives in Johannesburg, South Africa. When Tom and I are in South Africa, Philip joins us on stage, supporting Tom Wheelbright or Wheelwright on South African tax law, the consequences of printing money, Bitcoin, and the global economy. Living in South Africa, Philip decided to cross the border into Zimbabwe to witness firsthand a modern-day financial collapse of a once extremely rich country, a collapse due not to war or natural disaster, but to the unrestrained printing of money. The Six Gorges In his book, Philip explains the six gorge moments of hyperinflation. In his South Africa, there is a deep ravine cut into the mountains and interspersed with six perilous waterfalls known as Suicide Gorge. He describes leaping from the first cliff to a deep pool below. Looking back, he realized there was only one way out. He had to keep jumping, leaping off ever larger, surging waterfalls into smaller, shallower pools. He uses his experience of Suicide Gorge as a metaphor to explain a six-step financial collapse. He tells the story of Zimbabwe's six 
stepped collapse through the eyes of the people who actually went through the collapse. The stories are disturbing. If you want some motivation to do something now, please read his book. The following are excerpts from Philip's book, statements from people who lived through the collapse. They eventually had to sell their home, which kept them alive for three years. After that, he and his wife became destitute and had to move to South Africa to live with their son. Two years later, they both died. My dad's friend was a partner at a legal firm, having worked there for 50 years. For that entire period, he had invested his retirement savings with Old Mutual, the investment company for employees. With hyperinflation, his retirement savings were decimated. Old Mutual sent him a letter saying it wasn't worth paying him monthly, so they paid out the entire amount. With that payment, his entire life's pension, he bought a jerry can of fuel. How can you take money that is losing value? You can't. The government was forcing us to use the paper money. The pantry was kept under lock and key because food was our equivalent currency. It, were, it was our investment and savings. We could buy anything with our food, labor, sugar, rice, fuel, etc. It was our money. In women's prisons, there were shortages of tampons and sanitary pads. The demand for these was higher than US dollars and sanity Sanitary products soon circulated as a medium of exchange in these prisons. Hyperinflation made everyone a criminal because you had to break the law to survive. An elderly lady who worked for us part-time went to buy books for the orphans we helped. She purchased a purchased a stack of books and paid the bookseller in U.S. dollars. Just then, an undercover government agent pounced. We were forced to pay a bribe. I hate bribes, but when the choice is watching an elderly lady go to jail or paying a bribe, you pay the bribe. Their lives petered out to a withered end. They couldn't get any medication, food, or water, and few understood why their money couldn't buy anything. There were many stories of pensioners dying in their homes and many elderly couples quietly ending their lives together as they reached rock bottom. I don't know why I just got a flash of like a scene from like The Walking Dead where like couples like kill themselves together because they didn't want to get eaten by zombies. Continuing, once a rich country. Many people say that happened in Zimbabwe because Zimbabwe is a poor country. 
I remind them that less than 50 years ago, Zimbabwe was a very rich country known as the breadbasket of Africa. Today, Venezuela is in the same condition as Zimbabwe. Venezuela is also a very rich country with the largest oil reserves in the world. By the way, this book was published in 2017. We now know what's happening in Venezuela. Venezuela is also a very rich country with the largest oil reserves in the world. So the question is, how did people in once rich countries allow this to happen to them? Philip's book tells the story. As inflation increased, Zimbabweans lost confidence in Zimbabwe dollars. The government resorted to extensive control measures. It managed prices, fiddled with inflation rates, and used obscure language that made it difficult to understand definitively what was going on. Hold on for a second. I gotta pop one of these. I'm gonna drink some water and take a vitamin. Got these vitamins called Smarty Pants, men's formula. It's got multi and omega-3s, vitamin B12. This is not a fucking advertisement. <laughs> I just have, can't help reading things. Multifunction, multi and omega-3s, vitamin B12 for energy, D3 for immunity, lycopene for prostate, CoQ10 for heart. Omega-3 fish oil from small fish, CoQ10. B12 is methylcobalamin. I'm done reading. I'll put this in my face. Did I just, just lose a gummy in my car? I'm going to have to go look for it because it's been hot out here. I'm going to my phone inside my house. I'm going to come back and it's going to be like melted gummy on my freaking off. Go gummy, gummy, where did you go? All right, screw it. Want some water. Oh, wait, I don't have water. I have a kombucha. That'll do. That'll do. By the way, I'm all the way in Richmond, Virginia right now. I made it out to Mosley yesterday, driving, doing Uber. Um, made it. By the time I dropped, picked up somebody up from this place called um, South Beach in a city called Mosley, Virginia. And when I put in the navigation to go back home, it said 123 miles from Virginia Beach. So I decided just to stay here at the hotel. And uh, woke up. Went to Barnes and Nobles after going to a tropical smoothie and sat there for a few hours from about four o'clock until nine. I'll start driving again and eventually make my way back home tomorrow afternoon. All right. Continuing with the continuing with the why the rich are getting richer. Fed speak. Alan Greenspan, former Federal Reserve Bank chairman, 1987 to 2006, is famous for Fed speak. These are Greenspan's own words. Why the rich are getting richer. Fed speak. Alan Greenspan, former Federal Reserve Bank chairman, 1987 to 2006, is famous for... Since becoming a central duly clear to you, you must have misunderstood what I said. 
listening to Fed speak or to any central banker is definitely not financial education. It is financial misinformation. If Fed Chairman Greenspan, Ben Bernanke, and now Janet Yellen were honest, they would simply say, it's the money, stupid. I asked Philip Haslam what gorge he thought the world was jumping into in 2016. His answer, I believe gorge three, possibly gorge four. Now you have a general idea of what financial education is not. The next chapter will explain the price of being financially illiterate. What is non-number? The next chapter will explain the price of being financially illiterate. What the name said? Great topic. Okay. Hmm. Are you financially illiterate? Poor dad. My house is an asset. Rich dad. My house is a liability. My poor dad was a highly educated man. He was class valedictorian, graduated from college in two years, and went on to study at Stanford, the University of Chicago, and Northwestern University, ultimately earning his PhD. Unfortunately, he was not financially literate. He did not know the difference between assets and liabilities because he did not speak the language of money. His financial illiteracy required him to work harder, although he never got ahead financially. Every year he received a pay raise, but his expenses also increased. He did his best to manage his money, but money seemed to slip eventually. Every year he received a pay raise, but his expenses also increased. He did his best to manage his money, but money seemed to slip through his fingers. Although he was a highly educated, honest, hardworking family man with four kids and a pillar of the community, he died a poor man through his fingers. Although he was a highly educated, honest, hard We all know the importance of literacy, the ability to read, write, speak, and do basic math. Literacy is a human being's connection to the outside world. The following are five statistics on illiteracy. One. Two-thirds of students who cannot read proficiently by the end of fourth grade will end up in jail or on welfare. Two. 
Over 70% of American prison of America's prison inmates cannot read above a fourth grade level. Three, one in four children in America grow up without learning how to read. Four, students who don't read proficiently by the third grade are four times more likely to drop out of school. Five, as of 2011, America was the only free market OECD Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development country in which the current generation was less educated than the previous one. The price of financial illiteracy. I'm sure you'll agree that the price we pay for a lack of financial education is a high one. Financial illiteracy immobilizes people. Financially illiterate people live in fear, clinging to a false sense of security. Fear keeps people poor. Financially illiterate people cannot solve life's basic financial problems. Financial illiteracy destroys self-esteem. Without financial literacy, a person's self-respect and self-worth are often low, rendering them unable to act effectively and decisively. A financially illiterate person goes through life pretending he or she knows what they are doing with money. Financial illiteracy causes people to be frustrated and upset. The number one reason for divorce is arguments over money. Financially illiterate people cannot find the right answers to solve their money problems. Always worried about not having enough money, many are unable to live happy, prosperous, fulfilling lives. Financially illiterate people create fixed ideas. I found that financially illiterate people have closed minds. Many believe the rich are evil, greedy, and cruel. Many believe more money will solve their problems. Financially illiterate people often say, you can't do that here. They persist in this belief, even if financially literate people are doing it right in front of them. Their financial illiteracy limits lives. Fixed ideas block out the pain, confusion, stupidity, and helplessness that result from a lack of education. Financially illiterate people believe they are victims. Without financial literacy, a person does not know what is going on in the world economy. They tend to blame others for their money problems. Many blame the rich for their money problems. Most people are victims. They call the rich crooks and cheats. Financial illiteracy causes blindness. 
Financially illiterate people cannot see the millions of dollars in opportunities right in front of them. Financially illiterate people trust strangers they have never met with their money more than they trust themselves. That is why millions of people ask, what should I do with my money? And then invest for the long term without ever really knowing who is managing their money. Financially illiterate people cannot see market crashes coming and operate on trust. Financial illiteracy causes poverty. The irony is that in a world awash with money, the middle class is shrinking and poverty is rising. Even though the banks have printed trillions of dollars, Billions of people continue to say, I can't afford it. And although interest rates are at all-time lows, billions of people still cannot get a loan or afford to buy a home. Financially illiterate people make poor investors. I, <laughs> How many times is he going to say financially illiterate? is really driving the point home. Financially illiterate people are in the wrong place at the wrong time and usually invest in the wrong things at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. They buy high and sell low. When Walmart has a sale, they rush in and buy. When Wall Street has a sale, they run away from the best investments, investments that are on sale at low prices. Financial illiteracy causes poor judgment. A financially illiterate person does not understand value. Often, this person buys cheap rather than paying for quality. A financially illiterate person cannot comprehend what is important, what is valuable, what needs to be done, or the consequences of their actions. Financial illiteracy causes a person to hate life. Millions are stuck in jobs they hate, not earning the money they want and need to earn. It is estimated that 70% of all American workers actually hate their jobs. They sell their most valuable asset, their life, for a paycheck. Financial illiteracy can lead to unethical actions. Financial illiteracy erodes moral, ethical, and legal values. We've all heard horror stories of people who start dealing or hooking or gambling just to make a little money on the side. Millions cheat, lie, and steal for money. Many people would cheat on their taxes rather than learn how to reduce their taxes legally. Speaking of taxes, coming up next here is Tax Lessons from Tom. It's Tom Wheel, Wheelwright, who wrote the book Tax-Free Wealth, who is Robert T. Kiyosaki's accountant, and they've made millions of dollars together. I'm not going to apologize for being so mercenary. Many people keep fucking telling me that I'm too focused on money. 
and talking about money all the time. I can't listen to them anymore because the way that I've been earning money has been doing nothing but good for me and people around me. I don't get it. I don't see what the fucking problem is. Anyway, I digress. Tax lessons from Tom. Tax cheating around the world. Several times each year, I will run into someone who wants me to help them cheat on their taxes, or at least condone their cheating. Each time I explain that when you understand the tax law, you don't have to cheat. Some people will listen and learn and stop cheating. Others will continue to cheat because they are too lazy to do the right, to do it the right way. In Italy, the tax law actually refers to two levels of tax cheats. Minor tax cheating has one penalty and major tax cheating has a different penalty. As we travel, Robert and I encounter people in countries where it is the norm for people to cheat on their taxes. This doesn't have to happen. With financial education, anyone can pay less tax legally and never have to fear that the tax collector will catch them cheating. And the last one here is financial illiteracy distorts reality. When people are stressed and anxious because they are financially strapped, they don't always have a clear view of reality. They don't always see the options and opportunities open to them. For example, many believe a big home, flashy car, nice clothes, expensive wines, and bling make them rich. Step by step, I'm going to do something real quick here. I'm going to take this link from Wisdom and send it over to my my uh, iPhone and put it in the description of the of the call-in video. Because that's what I feel like doing. Edit room. There we go. Financial illiteracy. Boom. I'm just going to put that there. Paste. There we go. And save. Continuing. Step by step. As with many things in life, financial education is a process. Financial education improves financial literacy. Financial literacy increases a person's ability to solve financial problems. Solving financial problems makes the person financially smarter. And a financially smarter person is a richer person. Are you question? Are you saying the more money problems I solve, the richer I become? Answer: Yes. A rich person can usually solve financial problems; the poor and middle class cannot. Question: And are you saying that if I avoid solving my money problems, I become poorer? Answer: Yes. And if you do not solve your problems, they pile up like unpaid bills, which leads. To bigger problems. 
Question. Isn't our government doing the same thing? Answer. It is. Question. So how do we change the world? Answer. That's the question, isn't it? My rich dad often said, if you want to change the world, start by changing yourself. What the hell? If you want to change the world, start by changing yourself. Whenever I was complaining and whining about something, he would have me repeat to myself, for things to change, first, I must change. What is financial literacy? You know, I just feel so much better. You know how many people, I've talked a lot to a lot of people on Colin, and everyone keeps telling me because I'm studying capitalism and the uses and benefits of being a capitalist. And so many people convince me about how evil capitalism is, which maybe the system itself, but not the pe- it doesn't necessarily have to apply to the people in it. See, the system, one of the interesting things is in uh, the cash flow quadrant, Robert Kiyosaki says the goal is to own a system and have people work that system for you. And also says that the rich don't work for money. Things that make people cringe. That instead having money work for them. The book was published in 1997. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. The Cash Flow Quadrant was published in 1998. I read both of those books back then and didn't understand shit. Really. I was just excited by some of the language in the book, but it's a completely different thing to read it when you own a business and you, well, have fucking 20 years to be thinking about this stuff. It feels like something just blew off of my my head. Like so many things happened at the same time. That just kind of, it feels like it just happened, but it didn't. It's a long time. And some of the, the very creative things that I've done to invest are ridiculous because it's been sitting right in front of me the whole time. I mean, there's some specific examples he gives, but anyway, stop trying to convince me. Against using capitalism for good. It most certainly can be done. Even if you just start one person at a time. There, there's, there's interesting because I, I'm reading this book. This is the first time I started reading it today. This is already on page 124. And they were talking in the book, Robert Kiyosaki was talking about Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump and the differences between them. And I know a lot of people, when I, when I give these examples, people are going to just don't, not going to want to hear it because Donald Trump's involved. Right. But he talked about the difference that Bernie Sanders, his idea was basically give people fish and Donald Trump and him are talking about teach people how to fish. And it's interesting because there are people that I was giving fish to all the time, but asking them to help me out with certain things so that they could also learn how to fish and they wouldn't do it. They just kept on asking for money over and over and over and over again. And another thing that I read, I think it was in the cash flow quadrant 
where he talked about that that money is an addict, that working for money or just money is addictive. It's like an addiction, just like sex addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. And I saw that. How many people just kept on asking me for money over and over and over again when I had like simple assignments and things that I were asking them to do? Nothing difficult. Most of these people are remote, not even near me. And not a single one of them would, would, would do a simple task in return. But they just, but every single fucking time they just keep coming back to me and ask me for money over and over and over again. So crazy how right this is and how different the perspective is. Anyway. It's just so funny. It's hilarious. And it's so strange how I just came back to the books. It's almost like something happened. I don't know what happened. But then I had this urge to go back and look at the books. I, I, I purchased another copy because my copies of the books that I have originally are in my library in California. And I haven't been back there in years. I do have to go there and empty that thing out and bring them out here now that I have space for it. But something had gave me this urge to go back and get the cash flow quadrant and rich dad, poor dad. And then today I got three of the books, which is why the rich are getting richer. Um, the capitalist manifesto and, um, fake all by Robert Kiyosaki. And they're making so much more sense now because I've done some creative things. You know, it, it, like a lot of people talk about their house is an asset when it's really not. There are only certain circumstances in which your house is an asset. And that's if it's generating positive cash flow and not in the way that a lot of people think, but actual cash flow. Even if it's just $25. I remember a friend of mine made fun of me years ago when I was working in a network marketing company that was, um, it's called Legal Shield now, but it's called Prepaid Legal. And I was only making $600 a month from it without doing anything. It was passive income. Well, let me rephrase that. I was having meetings with people in Whole Foods in Tarzana, California with them for about an hour once a week and getting $600 a month from doing that just by talking to people at Whole Foods. And it's interesting how people will make fun of you just because it doesn't seem like a lot, but I didn't have any other burdens to take care of when my net was $600 a month. And that just makes so much more sense when he's talking about that he buys a house and it makes him $25 a month positive cash flow, which of course that was also back in like the seventies. But still, it doesn't seem like a lot, but if all your other stuff is paid for, and you got an extra $25, I don't know. I know where, where the fuck I was going with that just now. So how do we change the world? Continuing here by backing up a little bit. So how do we change the world? That's the question, isn't it? My rich dad often said, if you want to change the world, start by changing yourself. Whenever I was complaining and whining about something, he would have me repeat to myself, for things to change, first, I must change. Why, why is reading that line making me remember people keep asking me for money all the time instead of 
even just working for I'm not, I don't even hire people. They're not employees. It's like a contract thing. And I give them the money first. Maybe that's the problem. I should have them do the task first. I have a soft spot for people who, who need something. I can just give it to them. Oh, fuck it. I'm just going to keep buying books. What is financial literacy? One of Rich Dad's most important lessons was how you solve your problems determines the rest of your life. In 1997, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was published. It is a book on financial literacy about nine-year-old boys, Rich Dad's son and me. For those who have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, this will be a review with a few embellishments. The financial statement. Pictured on the following page is the sample diagram Rich Dad used to develop our financial literacy. It is Rich Dad's version of a financial statement. This simple diagram changed the direction of my life. If not for this simple way to visualize and understand income and expenses and assets and my holy shit. I don't know what you gotta hear. This guy's doing donuts in the parking lot. Call it. You're gonna get to see this. Oh man, he stopped. Why are people doing donuts in the parking lot? That was crazy. I only got to catch the tail end of that. Oh well. I guess that the. Barnes and Noble parking lot is the place to do uh, fucking donuts. All right. A little bit of excitement for my day. I flip the camera back here. <laughs> Uh-oh. Do it again. Yes, 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 please. Oh, no. Oh, they're driving away. So the financial statements, uh, I might have followed in my poor dad's footsteps and, and become an employee who worked hard and struggled with money. Oh, yeah, there we go. This simple diagram changed the direction of my life. If not for this simple way to visualize and understand income and expenses and assets and liabilities, I might have followed in my poor dad's footsteps and become an employee who worked hard and struggled with money all my life. You know, even just kind of coming into this right now and reading that, I could see how that would sound disturbing to some people. Because it kind of... It sounds... Yeah, I used to feel that way. Like he's saying that being an employee is bad, which it's not. And which he's not saying. And it doesn't have to be. It just depends on what you do with your money as an employee. Which, as he said, it's not saving 
necessarily, although saving is not bad if you have a goal to save so that you can invest. But let me not backtrack into all that. So I'm calling for video purposes. Here's the... Uh, uh, The financial statement, what it looks like, it's real simple. For video purposes, here's the, uh, the financial statement, what it looks like, it's real simple. As a description, the income statement is a square with a line in the middle, making it two rectangles. The top right rectangle is listed income and the bottom rectangle is listed expenses. I mean, they're both really rectangles, but I'm just describing it that way. The, the back, as a description, the income statement is a square with a line in the middle, making it two rectangles. The top right rectangle is listed income and the bottom rectangle is listed expenses. I mean, they're both really rectangles, but I'm just describing it that way. The, the balance sheet is underneath it and the balance sheet is underneath it and is split down um, vertically. And on the left side are assets, and on the right side are liabilities. So the income statement is two rectangles stacked on top of each other with income rectangle at the top, the expenses rectangle at the bottom. The balance sheet is a rectangle split in two rectangles um, with the assets split vertically instead of horizontally at the top, the income statement, with assets on the left and liabilities on the right. Continuing, the financial statement is at the core of financial literacy. That is why Rich Dad often said, my banker never asks me for my report card. My banker does not care what school I went to or my grade point average. My banker wants to see my financial statement. Your financial statement is your report card after you leave school. Financial literacy, the basics, at a young age, gave me a clearer direction for my life. People who cannot read financial statements are financially illiterate. As you know, there are many highly educated people that cannot read financial statements. This is the real financial crisis we face. Pictures, not words. Since Rich Dad's son and I were only nine years old when our financial education began, Rich Dad used pictures and very few words. Today, as a grown man, I still use very few words. It's interesting because the Rich Dad Poor Dad came out on his birthday in April 8th, 1997, 41 years later. That's how long it took him. But what his mission is, is to help accelerate people's financial literacy by his massive publishing empire. One of the things that he does to help people understand, I forget what, the... oh yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff in this book, the rise of robots, I mean, AI, right, you know, anyway. <clears throat> so on the income statement, he has written in the income column, poor dad focused here on income. And on the balance sheet at the bottom, on the, the left side labeled assets, he writes rich dad focused here. 
So poor dad focused on income while rich dad focused on assets. Remember, an asset is something that puts money into your bank account or your pocket, your wallet, while a liability does not. Income is taxed while you can get tax benefits and breaks for assets. Continuing, my poor dad worked for job security and a steady paycheck. Rich dad worked for assets that produced cash flow. Which column are you focused on? Income or assets? Why the rich are getting richer. Tax lessons from Tom. The power of financial statements. I can tell a person's financial literacy by looking at which financial statements they use and how they use them. Employees tend to look only at income. On a tax return, employees only have to report their income. Very few of their expenses are deductible. So for employees, those in the E quadrant, their pay stub is their financial statement. Small business owners tend to look at income and expense. This is the income statement. It tells the story of what money they earned and what they spent. On a tax return, small business owners only have to report their income and expenses. They are not required to have a balance sheet. So for small business owners, those in the S quadrant, the profit and loss or income statement is the only financial statement they use. Those in the B and I quadrants, for those who don't know, B is business or big business like C corporations with, and I is investor. Those in the B and I quadrants use at least two more financial statements. They use a balance sheet which reports their assets and liabilities. And they use a statement of cash flows, which shows where their cash came from and where it went. On a tax return, big business owners and professional investors are required to show their income statement and their balance sheet. They are expected to show their statement of cash flows to their banker along with their income statement and balance sheet. When we prepare tax returns at my CPA firm, we require all of our business and investment clients, no matter how large or small, to prepare both an income statement and a balance sheet. This way, we have much greater assurance that the information they are providing is accurate. Tax collectors feel the same way. A business is five times more likely to be audited if they only show their income statement on their tax return than if they also show their balance sheet. Six important words. There are six words at the core of financial literacy. They are one income. Two, expense. Three, assets. Four, liabilities. Five, cash. Six, flow. One, income. 
expense, two expense, three assets, four liabilities, five cash, six flow. Income, expense, assets, liabilities, cash flow. Six words at the core of financial literacy. Ask any entrepreneur what the two most important words are and they will say cash flow. Ask any entrepreneur what the two most important words are and they will say cash flow. Question. Why are cash and flow the two most important words? Answer. Because cash and flow determine if something is income, expense, asset, or liability. For example, income is cash flowing in. An expense is cash flowing out. In the real world, it might this might be a checkbook. Income in and expenses out. Question. Is that why you say balancing a checkbook is not really financial education? Exactly. Answer, exactly. Question. Because a checkbook does not include assets and liabilities? Answer, exactly. My mom and dad balanced their checkbook, but had no idea what assets or liabilities were. That is why they were poor. Every month, they would wonder where their money went. Their money was flowing out via liabilities, such as their house and car. Liabilities they were calling assets. Question. So assets and liabilities determine if someone is rich, poor, or middle class? Answer. Yes. The different classes focus on different columns in the financial statement. As pictured below. For those of you who can see here in video, and that's it. The income statement here has in the expense column, that's the bottom stack of the income statement as expensive, he's written in there the poor. On the balance sheet, which is split into left and right halves, the left is assets and the right being liabilities. <clears throat> In the assets column, it's written the rich, and in the liabilities column, it's written the middle class. I must have learned a lot that has been unconscious in my mind for all these years because of the way that I've been operating and the things that are going on right now because I read, like I said, a hundred something pages of this book so far today, and so much of it, I was looking around like thinking to myself, wow, that's what I'm doing, I think that I, something something broke and made this stuff rise into the surface of my conscious mind and caused me to go back and look at this stuff again because it's putting things into perspective again. And I don't know if it, part of it was all the people continuing to tell me to not be capitalist and start a co-op or telling me even that some of the stuff that I'm doing is, co is like a co-op, a cooperative business and not a capitalist system, I don't know. Um, but, uh, also a little bit of heartbreak. Question. Are you saying the poor are always trying to save money by reducing expenses? Answer. Yes. Question. And the rich focus on assets? Answer. Yes. Question. 
So why does the middle class focus on liabilities? Answer, because in most cases, they do not know the difference between assets and liabilities. Question, is that why your poor dad called his house an asset and rich dad called his house a liability? Answer, yes. Question, why was that? Answer, the answer is financial literacy and the other side of the coin, financial illiteracy. There's another, there's another diagram that shows assets flowing into the income column and liabilities pointing into the expenses column. So on the balance sheet, the left side assets are going into the top column of the income statement. And on the same balance sheet, the liabilities are on the right side are going into the bottom expense column of the income statement. There you go. Those of you watching on video, that's what it looks like. All right. Continuing, the power of words. Oh, good. A few pages left. There's a summary of part two. The power of words. Here are two important definitions, distinctions that Rich Dad made in helping us understand the difference between an asset and a liability. Assets put money in your pocket, whether you work or not. <laughs> yes, they do. Liabilities take money from your pocket, even if they go up in value. Question, so the direction of cash flowing determines if something is an asset or a liability? Answer, yes. Question, so a house could be an asset if the house was putting money in your pocket? Answer, you got it. Anything can be an asset or liability as defined by the direction of cash flow. Most people have money slipping through their fingers because they insist their house or car is an asset. Tax lessons from Tom. Liabilities and cash flow. Another, uh, yeah, lessons from Tom. Tax lessons from Tom. Liabilities and cash flow. Another way to describe a financial statement is a statement of financial condition. A person's financial condition is good if their cash inflows exceed their cash outflows. If you had no job to rely on, your cash inflows would be determined solely by your assets and your cash outflows would be determined solely by your liabilities. So assets can very literally be defined as something that creates cash inflows and liabilities can be defined as something that creates cash outflows. 
the difference between your assets and liabilities or cash inflows and outflows is called your net worth or wealth. To review, the six words at the heart of financial literacy are income, expense, asset, liability, and cash flow. Question, is that why you named your game cash flow, combining the two words into one? Answer, yes, because in the real world of money, the ability to control the direction of cash flow is most important. The rich know how to control cash flowing in and the poor and middle class cannot control cash flowing out. Question, is that why the world is in financial crisis? Because our leaders are creating liabilities and cash is flowing out? Answer, yes. And on top of that, our leaders are printing money to cover the cash flowing out. A change of focus. The millionaires next door focus on these two assets, savings and stocks. The biggest problem today is these two assets, savings and stocks, are toxic. Remember that from 1971 to 2000, people who saved money and invested for the long term in the stock market were doing fine. Then, in 2000, the world changed. A financially literate person is able to look at the chart below, a chart that we've previously viewed, and understand what the chart is telling us. And it points to the giant crash of 1929 and goes all the way to 2015. <clears throat> Question, why are you scaring me? Answer, that isn't my intention, and I know it may be frightening, but my reason for the work I do in support of financial education is to prepare for people, is to prepare people for what is coming next. Question, what will happen next? Answer, I don't really know. No one really knows. We have never been here before. On September 7th, 2010, Warren Buffett said, the one thing I will tell you is the worst investment you can have is cash. Everybody is talking about cash being king and all that sort of thing. Cash is going to become worth less over time. People who followed Buffett's advice, those who got out of cash positions and into the stock market in 2010, did very well. The problem is, as I am writing this book in 2017, the stock market is, all, is at all-time highs. The question is, can Warren save them in this crash? Look again at Buffett's performance during the first three crashes of the century. Berkshire Hathaway versus S&P 500 five-year return. The chart shows the markets climbing again. The question is, can investors 
even those as savvy as Warren Buffett, not lose money in the coming crash? Because it shows here that he did lose money in the other crashes. Yep. He lost money. A lot of money in those crashes. In 2000, well, it went way down in 2000. All right. There it is, visual for those of you watching on video. There we go. All right. Moving on. Are you financially illiterate? As you consider these actions and reactions, these lessons on financial literacy and illiteracy, think about how you've responded. What have you been thinking and feeling? Below, I have summarized how financially illiterate people are likely to respond in the real world if there is another crash. Financial illiteracy immobilizes people. Financial illiteracy destroys self-esteem. Financial illiteracy causes a person to be frustrated and upset. Financially illiterate people create fixed ideas. Financially illiterate people believe they are victims. Financially illiteracy or financial illiteracy causes blindness. Financial illiteracy causes poverty. Financially illiterate people make poor investors. Financial illiteracy causes poor judgment. Financial illiteracy causes a person to hate life. Financial illiteracy can lead to unethical actions. Question. So what can a financially illiterate person do? Answer. Start getting financially literate. Start by understanding the six basic words of financial literacy. One, income. Two, expense. Three, asset. Four, liability. Five, cash. Six, flow. Challenge yourself to understand how cash flow determines if something is an asset or a liability. Understand why a house is not an asset. Understand why savers are losers. Understand why your investment portfolio may be a liability, not an asset. Understand why the markets are in turmoil. Understand why the two primary assets of the millionaires next door, savings and stocks, may become liabilities. Understand why it's the money, stupid. If you can understand and explain these principles and ideas, you are on your way to becoming a financial genius. Summary of part two. Money is a language. Learning to be rich is much like learning a foreign language. It takes time, practice, and dedication. Poor people speak the same language. 
They speak the language of poverty. They think in the words of the poor and use those words when they communicate. The, their most frequently used words are, I can't afford it, and I can't do it. Until those words change, little else will change. As Henry Ford said, if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. Either way, you are right. The middle class speaks the same language. The favorite words of the middle class are job security, steady paycheck, and benefits. They avoid the words risk and debt. They think the idea of saving money is smart, and it was until 1971. Until a person's words change, little else will change. The language of the rich is different. The rich, those with financial education, speak different languages. Entrepreneurs speak a different language than employees. Real estate investors speak a different language than stock market investors. A real estate investor will use words like cap rate and a stock market investor will talk about P versus E ratio or PE ratio, both meaning almost the same thing. The point is words become flesh. Got real financial education? Part two has been about what financial education is not. What is financial illiteracy? Part three will focus on what is real financial education. The good news is that real, fine education, real financial education begins with words, the real language of money, the language of the rich, and the best news of all, words do become flesh. And words are free. This was part two of why the rich are getting richer. What is financial education really? By Robert T. Kiyosaki, the author of the international bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, with Tom Wheelwright, CPA, as an adjuvant. And um, I'm going to just finish with that last few sentences again. What is real financial education? The good news is that real financial education begins with words, the real language of money, the language of the rich, and the best news of all, words do become flesh, and words are free.